once a month prayer meeting uh, on Wednesday nights. That's coming up this Wednesday night. There's going to be a little teaching in this on spiritual gifts. So if you've ever wondered about gifts of the Spirit and even praying for a stirring of that up, that's going to be happening on Wednesday night. So I'd love to see you guys on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. If you're ready for the word today, say let's do it. Uh, go to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're in a series called the Leadership Challenge. And I'm going to kind of frame this. Oh, I need to make a mention. My son graduated from high school two days ago. So there's a lot of things I love about him. One of the things that's interesting about him is he has a car. He, in fact, he has a, a truck. And he was voted at his school the kid most likely that his vehicle would explode. All right, he's got a very old uh, truck, and it's interesting because it wouldn't start. So we got it, we checked it out one day, and you know, in fact, paid money, got it fixed, and then it um, got a little bit better, but then it didn't start again. And then we did something else, then it didn't start again. Then we did something else, and it didn't start again. We finally figured out, Ben finally figured out that he said, Dad, whenever it gets really hot outside, because it's a black truck, in fact, many of you have probably seen it, it's had many extra days here at the church hub when we couldn't get it out. Uh, but he, he says, Dad, whenever it's, whenever it's hot outside, it doesn't start when it's hot. I'm like, well, we picked the wrong state to live in. I mean, this thing needs to live like in Alaska or Massachusetts. It doesn't need to live in Florida, right? And we, we could not, we just could not get to the bottom of figuring out whatever it, in fact, we're still trying to figure out what is it that's causing the problem where this thing cannot get fixed. Well, what we have here when we're coming to the story of Nehemiah is We've got a situation where the walls have been broken down, and there are problems with the people of Israel. You may remember that the book begins when Nehemiah gets a burden for the fact that his people are, have suffered reproach, that God's name has been maligned, and that the, it, the city of Jerusalem lies in ruins, and God's people are really kind of, they've been scattered, but the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and it's a shame, and, and the question is, well, why is it like this? To which as he kind of starts to dig in, it fi- what we find out is that Earlier in the history of Israel, they had been scattered, but God had made a way for them to miraculously be able to go back to their homeland. And God, in fact, kings gave them permission to go back to their homeland and rebuild it. And so Jewish people went back to Jerusalem, went back to the land of Israel, and they began to rebuild the place. In fact, they rebuilt the temple, and there were things that got rebuilt. But in the process of doing this, the walls did not get completely rebuilt, and there was like a a point of vulnerability that they had, and so it was about halfway done. Well, that's where the book of Nehemiah picks up, where he's looking and realizing that God's people are now in danger, and the question is, why didn't they just finish what they started? To which the answer would be, well, because they were discouraged. But then the question is, well, why were they discouraged? Well, because they were, you know, kind of put down and they were oppressed. Okay, but, but why were they put down? Well, because the city wasn't rebuilt. But yeah, but they were allowed to rebuild it. Why didn't they rebuild it? Well, because they were discouraged. Yeah, yeah but why were they discouraged? Well, because it's a bad situation. Well, why was it bad? Well, because they were lazy. And this is how, by the way, a lot of preaching ends up going, because they were lazy. If you would try harder, then the walls would get rebuilt and you were lazy. In fact, if you've ever studied like poverty theory and things like that, a lot of times someone will say, why is this person poor? And someone might say, well, because they're lazy. But if you've ever studied, you kind of realize that usually laziness is not the cause of poverty. A lot of times discouragement and laziness are the results of other things that are taking place. To To which someone then says, okay, well, that's easy. Well, the problem is oppression. So then you can say, well, look at oppression. Well, why do people oppress? Well, because they're bad. Well, why is it, what is it that makes them bad? Well, it's the fact that they look down on other people. Well, why do they look down on other people? Well, because they're from another nationality or they're from another race or another ethnicity or another gender. Well, why do they do that? 
Well, because of arrogance. Well, why are they arrogant? And I'm not sure if you've ever gotten around arrogant or prideful people, but usually when I've watched arrogant people, it's usually a mask for something else, like self-hatred or insecurity. And so oftentimes, even someone's very arrogance or their appearances of masks of pride are often not the cause, but many times they themselves are results of something else that's going on. When, when we looked at Ben's car, we're like, wait, what is going on with, what's going on with this vehicle? When we were looking at Israel, what was, what's going on? And Nehemiah has, he's taken a risk and he stepped out and he's gone to the king Artaxerxes and he's asked for provisions and he's made a trek 700 miles and he's cast vision, he's gathered a team, he's made plans and they've, at this point, they've even rebuilt the walls and yet something in Nehemiah knows that even if the walls are rebuilt, if you don't get to the bottom of what is going on, it's going to happen again. If you don't get to the, if you cannot define your enemy, you cannot defeat your enemy. He's got to try to figure this out. And what we're about to find here in Nehemiah chapter 8 today is we're about to get to the answer of, wait, why did we get into all this trouble in the first place? Might I suggest that in the United States of America right now, with all sorts of questions on all sorts of sides, we need to get to the bottom of what in the world is taking place. Right now, they say in the evangelical, fundamental, and in, in Christendom, there is, there is a great divide that's happening. There's this great chasm that has hit. Why the brokenness? And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Nehemiah 8. I'm going to start in verse 5, where it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, and all the people stood. I'm going to skip down to verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, they're teaming up now, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people, they said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Let's break this down. Why was there brokenness? Why was there trouble? Why were there issues? And the answer is, Ezra, for the first time in generations now, is opening the book of the Lord. And while God's people are reading and hearing the word of the Lord, they're reading, wait, oh wait, this is what you're supposed to do with the family? We have not done that. Oh, that's what's wrong. You turn the page. Oh, this is what you're supposed to do with money? We have not done what God said to do with money. Oh, that's a problem. They turn the page. Wait, this is what we're supposed to do? This is, in every page they turn, they found out. God has spoken. He has not stuttered. We have not listened. We have not opened the book. And what you will find is when you disregard the manufacturer's recommendations, things always go wrong. Today I want to talk about leadership by the book. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, what's that look like? Number one, you got to open the book. You've got to open the book. <sighs> open the book. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, I was not expecting that, to be honest. I did not do that first service. <laughs> In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, we find that Ezra, it says that the people had all gathered together, and there was this, there was this great hunger from God's people. But it says about them that when they got together, that they, they gathered as one, that all these people gathered as one, 
and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that he had commanded. Now, they had not heard this for a great amount of time. Now, the reason you need to know this is because Hosea tells us, and the prophet Hosea, that God claims, my people perish for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This book possesses the knowledge that we need, but when you do not go with it, there are problems that ensue. My best friend Brian and I, when we were in high school, uh, we, would, we thought we could do anything. And so at one point we went and I had a, uh, an old, I, I got the first vehicle. And so I got a vehicle in my senior year of high school, and, but it didn't really, ha- didn't have a good radio. And so we wanted to put a radio in there. And so I, we, we one day decided, hey, how hard could this be? You look at it and it says like it'll take an hour and 15 minutes or something. We're like, man, please. Uh, recommendations, there was like, you know, instructions on what to do. We're like, who needs instructions when you got two geniuses is how we felt. So we throw aside the instructions, and as you can probably imagine, it did not take an hour. It did not take two hours. We got many hours into the process. We could not get power to the radio. We finally reached a place where we touched a wire, we got some power, and we were rejoicing like a couple of you-know-whats. I mean, it was just amazing. As we finally got power, we closed it all back up, put the front back on, and we were dating a couple of girls. We were best friends, and these girls that we were dating, we were dating them, and we, one night we were out on a date, a double date with them, and um, the windows were down, and the radio was on, and the, and the girls were like, hey, her hair's getting messed up. Could we please roll up the windows? And so they rolled up the windows, uh, and they said, well, now we need the air conditioner because it's Florida. We lived in St. Pete. It was Florida, and it's hot. And unbeknownst to us, when you turned on the radio, when you, I'm sorry, when you turned on the air conditioner, the radio would turn off because you could either have one or the other. <laughs> because however these geniuses had wired up my radio, it had made it where it was useless to be able to have the radio and that at the same time because we would not listen to the manufacturer's recommendations on how you do what you do. What Ezra is showing the people is that the creator has spoken, that the creator has revealed this is how you do marriage. This is how you raise children. This is how you handle sexuality. This is, and what happens is there is this tendency of humans to say, you know what, we really don't need your recommendations. We think we can do this better than the instruction manual tells us. And Ezra comes and he brings this to them. And it says in verse 2, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, men and women, all who could understand what they heard. This means as soon as a kid is old enough to understand. Parents, your children need the word of God. They need the word. It says in verse 3, And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and all of those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. They tell us this was somewhere between six and seven o'clock in the morning till 12 or one o'clock in the afternoon. He sat there and opened the Bible. He read the Bible for six straight hours. Imagine just listening to God's word for six straight hours when we moved into this property. One of the first things we did, as soon as we opened the door, some of you may remember, we, we had people come in and for like a week straight, we just had the Bible being read in this room just to be read nonstop. We wanted to read through the entire Bible, just hours and hours of having the word of God. We want those, those signals to be touching this very property that they sat there for six straight, and the people were attentive. Man, guys, I, I, I want us to be careful because we're living in a moment right now where there is such a fight 
for your attention. It is easy to get distracted by X, Y, and Z, and you end up not having a focus for the Bible. And I'll, I'm, I'm watching, they're even saying that right now, like younger Christians are getting all of their catechism, they're getting all of their discipleship from TikTok. It is dangerous when you think you're getting profound insights from a 52-second video. Something is wrong when you think a TED Talk in 18 minutes or less is going to be able to give you the living and active word of God, which is able to change a soul. That there's something about, they sat there and they listened to God's word for hours. Can I, let me just say this. In a culture that's trying to dumb down your attention span, may I suggest that one of the great superpowers of the 21st century is going to be people who know how to hold their attention to something long enough to do something well. And I get it. Everyone, it's almost like a bragging point. People like brag, yeah, I'm so ADD. You might need to actually learn that you can grow your endurance there's something godly about being able to read more than two verses in a row. There's something good about being able to read something longer than a blog. There's something better than able to hold your attention longer than one tweet. There's something about something, like I talked to someone the other day, they're like, yeah, I sat down and I read the book of Job in one sitting. Job is kind of a depressing book if you separate that up over a month. You, you probably do want to read Job in a sitting. You're like, man, how would I ever do that? The same way you'd watch a movie. The same way you're like, well, it's not so. No, I get that. What I'm saying is a superpower might be what these people tapped into when reform came to their culture, which was they d developed an endurance for the word of God. They developed an endurance. Verse 4, it says that Ezra the scribe, he stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. In other words, he, he, he stood up on this. There, there's something about giving this book the highest place. There's something about giving this book the, the prioritized place. When, we, when our family goes on vacation, we schedule our vacations around being able to get in this book. If we want to rent a boat, like, you know, we don't own a boat or anything, but a couple times we've um, rented a boat before. You can rent a boat, you know, whatever, for like three hours, and, and it's like, well, we've got one that's available at seven. We're like, man, on vacation... If we go out at 7 o'clock, we got to get up at whatever time on vacation. We're not going to have time. For, I'm just saying, like, as for me and my house, we're going to get in this book. And so we literally say no to other things for the sake of giving this book, these words, the platform in our family. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying that to say, we're, I'm so carnal. If this book doesn't get in me, I'm a wreck. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Just like some of you would not leave the house without eating. Just like some of you would never think of going out without your phone. There's something about saying, "You wait, I'm going to treat my Bible even better than most people treat their phones. Could you imagine? They say the average person touches their phone 2,700 times a day. Imagine if all day long you're just like, oh man, I love it when people put like Bible verses on their phone or they've got little reminders of this. We see open, here's my point. Open the book. We do not idolize. It's not that we idolize the book. We don't, I don't idolize this book. It's that we believe that God has spoken and he has not stuttered. 
And, and by the way, let me make a statement here. I do get it in, in, a, in an age of questioning everything um, and, and pointing out the obvious that humans are fallible. I need you to know some great news. Despite the fallibility of humans, God himself is so infallible that he is able in his infallibility, in his perfection, in his wisdom, he knows how to actually, despite human frailty, use human weakness, human vessels to preserve his infallible word. I'm a guy that believes that God has spoken and that he has preserved his word. And that everywhere this word goes, something takes place. There is something that happens, which is why I'm saying, open the book. And it says in verse 5 and 6, they opened it. And, and I love this in verse 6. Ezra blessed the Lord. So he's like in the middle of reading. He's like, Lord, bless you. He's, he's reading something. He's like, man, man, God, man, God, you are good. He just blesses the Lord in the middle of reading this apparently in sight of all the people. And then he was above the people. And when he did this, it says, all the people answered, amen, amen lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. He's doing nothing but reading the, he's quoting scripture, he's dropping scripture, and the people are going like, amen, hey, with their hands up, their mouths lifted, amen, amen. Now I was watching the PBS special on the black church, I'm not sure if anybody saw this. I think we need churches to become black churches again because the, the, the black church in America, despite so many things that have taken place, it's this place where oppression's been called out and wickedness has been called out, and yet they would say, this book gets the highest place. And when people go to church, they'll do nothing but get up and read a Bible verse, and the crowd's going to go, amen, amen. In fact, can we just practice it? I'm going to say something true, and I'm going to give you a chance to just be biblical. This isn't cultural. This is not like an Assemblies of God thing or a Baptist thing or a Church of God in Christ thing. This apparently is a Bible thing. By the way, we do this in other places because when I go to Florida Field, when I go down there and the Gators score a touchdown, I watch hands go up, and I watch mouths open up, and I watch people say in, in their own vernacular amen amen now they do that for a pig skin now I'm opening up some goat skin let me just give you a few the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever Jesus said man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God how about that how about this one God says, my word will not return void. Amen. How about this one? I will send my word and heal their diseases. So, so do we believe and understand that biblically speaking, there's something that, that a child needs, there's something that a man needs, that a woman needs, that a grandparent needs to say, God, I'm going to engage with you. Like when, I, I get it when someone goes into a, a football stadium and they say, well, there's this, this 12th player, the 12th man is when, when the crowd is in it. Do you understand that something happens not just when the preacher preaches, but when the people catch the pass that's been thrown their way? Open the book. I, I hear us trying to defend God's word. I want to get real clear. And, and I get, there is a place for apologetics. There is a place for critical uh, analysis. There is a place for um, higher criticism. All of that. At the same time, I need you to understand that God's word is like a lion. You don't so much need to defend the lion as much open the cage and let him out. <laughs> open the book. Open the book. And that's where we come to verse 9 when they did open the book. 
It says, and the people wept as they heard the words because that's when they realized, like, oh, that's what's wrong. Oh, God said that. We did that. That, friends, I want to connect some dots here. There is no problem in this nation that this book does not solve. There is no challenge in your family. There is no issue in your life that this book does not directly reveal the mind and heart of a loving God. And the people wept because they knew. They're like, oh, the problem is not that God abandoned us. The problem is that we abandoned him. Man. And I do it all the time. And I will come back and read his word, and it cuts me and in this word, it, it cut them. When they heard the word, it, it cut them to the heart. They were convicted. They're like, oh, it's me. By the way, friends, if you still think the problem is them, you're missing it. Because at the end of the day, God didn't give you the Bible to bang someone else's head with it. He gave you the Bible to heal you. Now, now listen, we will speak to our culture. and we're gonna, But what I'm saying is, if fundamentally, even right now, you're like, gosh, why isn't my spouse here right now? Because you are. I wish my brother John was listening to this right now. No, but this one's for you. Open the book. Number two, you got to receive the joy. In verse 10, it says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, we're a little, we're kind of, we don't kind of know what to do right now culturally, because some people have not opened this book. And I warn you, when you open this book, it's going to convict you. When you open this book, it's going to cut you. When you open this book, you're going to realize the selfishness and the pride and the lust and the stuff inside. It's going to convict you. But I need you to understand that God doesn't just convict you to restrict you God convicts you to set you free and he says you can't stay here you're gonna have to move from the grief and sorrow to the joy you have to repent and I don't 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 misunderstand me I am calling us to repent I am calling us to identify sin to call it out to turn I'm not I'm not gonna be a preacher we're not gonna be a church that that stays away from the word sin and the word repent. No, we believe in repentance. But friends, if you repent, but you never rejoice, you never get strong. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Weeping can tarry for the night and weeping can get you ready, but Nehemiah and Ezra have to correct them. Like, hey guys, you can't stay so. At some point, he said, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you hear what he's saying? He's like, do you like Snickers? Does anybody like Snickers? You like Snickers? Do you I want you to eat. I, I wanted to find some stuff that's got fat in it, okay? Anyone over here? Any, you like Snickers? Here you go. There's something. See if you can catch that. Does anybody like Kit Kat? Anybody like a Kit Kat? Can you catch this, you think? You think you got this? You got you to save all these people here. Don't, you got to stand up so I don't. All right, ready? This one's a Kit Kat. Oh, and, oh here, I'll do both of you. There's one. All right, there's one. And I got, actually, I've got three more Kit Kats here. I got, this is the last service of the day. So you ready? You got to catch this. Oh. 
Did, I, did you save him just now? You want a Kit Kat? All right, there's a Kit Kat right there. Does anybody like, this is not my favorite, but this one, I don't even know how you say it. Um, what is this thing called? Herrero Rocher. <laughs> you like this? Do you know what this is? You know what that is? Let's see, okay. Anybody else want one of these? All right, I wanna see if I can get it to the back. Wait, wait here, let me see, there you go, there. Boom, there it is, there's, the, oh, there we go. Not too bad. All right, do you know, what the, you know what the rabbis would do? The rabbis would actually take honey. The rabbis would take honey, and when children were listening to the word of God, they would put honey on the child's finger, and they would make the honey go on the finger. They'd say, the joy of the Lord, and they would make the kid drink the honey, taste the honey, because for kids back in the day, they didn't have Snickers and Skittles. They had honey. This was their candy. They wanted children to associate God's word with this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Who likes honey? Nah, we won't do the honey. We won't, we won't do that honey. I'm, I might try the honey. Let me see here if I can. Mmm. It was a little more than I thought. <laughs> How about dum-dums? Does anybody like sour apple dum-dums? You like a sour apple dum-dum? See if you can catch this thing. That's, that's not too bad. Actually, I might have got the wrong flavor. I'm not sure. See, see here, here's what I want you to understand. When you come, in fact, maybe if you got nothing else out of this entire sermon, here's what I want you to know. Everywhere this book is opened, sorrow gets turned into joy. Everywhere this book gets opened, sorrow, he doesn't, he doesn't leave you there. He, 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 won't, he doesn't just let you stay. You're like, well, Mike, there's people that are wicked. They, they shouldn't be joyful. No, no, he'll change them. Like, this book changes people. Do you understand? Everywhere this book has been opened in human history, sorrow gets turned into joy because cannibals stop eating people. Oppressors stop oppressing people. Liars stop lying to people. The downcast get lifted because everywhere this book is opened, sorrow gets turned into joy. And it is the joy of the Lord that's your strength. First you open the book, then you receive the joy. But when you've done that, and this is what I love about this chapter, in verse 13 it says, On the second day, the heads of the father's houses and all the people with the priests and the Levites, they came together to Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. In other words, they didn't just want it on one day. They wanted it the next day. They were hungry for God's word the next day. They were desiring, like newborn babies, the pure milk of God's word. And they came back. They said, we want more. Ezra, give us more. In verse 14, when they were reading the Bible, they found in it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Well, here they were in the seventh month, and they opened the Bible, and they found out that in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Numbers, and three different places in God's Torah, he had commanded the children of Israel to celebrate feasts, one of which was called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. In Hebrew, Sukkot. Of all the feasts of Israel, this was the most joyful of all the feasts. This was the feast that, that God commanded them seven days a year. Everyone's on holiday. In fact, like in, in Europe, they, they call it holiday. 
the rabbis, even today, that this became such a prominent feast, that this feast, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, was so prominent that it became known as the holiday. This was the holiday. This is something like if you go to Brazil without the sin part, carnival. It's something like a New Year's Eve. It's something like a birthday party. It's something like an anniversary. It's something like a week at Disney World. It's something like, if only you could imagine, they would light these lights. They would pour out this water. There was this great joy. And the children of Israel had three pilgrim feasts. This was one of them. And they would come from all over Israel to go up. They made, come let us go up to the house of the Lord. It was one of those treks. They would make their way. The altitude was up. Jerusalem would be the highest place. They're making their way up and they would be converging from all across Israel as God's people would come and make their way up and they would sing songs and they would tell jokes and they would laugh and then there would be these lights that were shining and when you would get close they would see these lights that would come on at night. Imagine there's no unnatural light out there and it gets pitch black but as you start to make your way up you hear the songs of the pilgrims and you hear the, the chants of the people and you can smell the aroma of the people and they're dwelling in booths all over and we read right here that it says that when they did this they were told it was written that the people should dwell in these booths and they should proclaim it and publish it in all the towns. Go out to the hills, bring the branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and they brought them and they made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And the people of God would gather together and they would say, hey, son, come on, boy. Hey, girl, come here, girl. They'd gather their children. They'd get their wife. It was something like a camping trip meets Disney World meets carnival meets a party meets a graduation. And it's time to eat the fat. And it's time to break out the Skittles. And it's time to, to get your, eat, eat your, uh, right here, would, would anybody like some popcorn chicken? Anybody want some popcorn chicken in the middle of... You right there in the white shirt. Are you right there? Come on, run up here. You can come up here and grab these. I don't want to waste these. The Bible says eat the fad, and I went ahead and got, yeah, there you go. There you go. That's you, baby, right there. There, it's Sukkot. There, give it up for Feast of Tabernacles, man. Just don't make a big mess, but yeah. Yeah, yeah and I'd rather you not dip it in service here. Yeah, the ushers will get upset with me. But, but do you understand what kind of God includes in his command. And I know when you think of the commands, you think of thou shalt not. What about command that says thou shalt have a feast that lasts seven days that all year long your kids are looking forward to showing up and that rabbi says, do you remember when Rabbi Hosea gave me extra honey on my finger and and they're dwelling in these booths, and they would say, but wait, why are we doing this? And when they started to see the lights, and it's something like Christmas lights now, if you can imagine that, and you're, you're coming up, and, and you see them in the, in the anticipation, and the hearts are beating. And, and in verse 18, it says, and day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. In other words, God's dream was always that you would associate the joy of joys with the book of books from the king of kings. That, that to eat the fat and to drink the sweet wine would not be, it would not be something that is reserved for, well, I, I either have fun, and, I, and when, I, when I hear people say, man, I need to go ahead and get my fun out because I'm gonna start serving God. It's like, 
You have thoroughly misread the words of the God that you think you're going to serve because you cannot serve the living God without joy. It's impossible. You just, if you do not move from, you've got, when you open the book, it's going to cut you. But it's going to comfort you because you're going to realize that the same God that convicts you forgives you and redeems you and calls you his own. And he brings you to a place of joy where you eat. Anyone want a Nestle Crunch? Anyone like Nestle Crunch right over here? Let's see if someone's got a Nestle Crunch. There we go. And I'm going to do one into the, right there into the screen, okay? You online, if you would like a Nestle Crunch, all right, ready? Someone in the middle is going to have to catch this. It's going to be like 3D. We might need to increase our technology to make that happen. Mike, what, what, what's your point? Here's my point. At some point, you've got to take these, these ways of God, and you're going to have to turn them into rhythms. The feasts of God were rhythms, that every year at the same time, there were rhythms. God made you with a rhythm. You need to sleep. God made you with need for rhythms. You need to eat. Some of the rhythms that we have, there's rhythms that God has made us for. I'm going to come back here and, and take some of the building blocks that, that we build. The question is, what are you going to build your life upon? What is, what is your, your life going to be built upon? What is it that's going to be? I would suggest that if you're going to make it in the long run, you're going to have to institutionalize some of these things. There's going to be things that you're going to do. For example, in my, in my life, every single morning I'm going to get up and I read the word of God. I'm going to give God's word the first place. That's one of my, this is one of my rhythms. When I'm saying create the rhythms, this is, I'm, I'm going to get, a, when, when Saturday comes around, every single Saturday, I'm, I'm going to Sabbath. That, that's what we do. Like, some of you might do that on Sunday. For me, I'm, I, I usually have a gig on Sunday, so um, I, we, we Sabbath on, we, we will Sabbath, and on that day, I'm, it is going to be unlike other days. It's going to be a joyful day. I'm going to eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and we're going to have a good time, and we're going to associate with God's word, and, and I'm not going to, by the way, for me, that there's going to be a lot, but, but one of the things I want you to, to notice is that there are rhythms, that the feasts were pointing to something, and they were calling by God's people to, the Feast of Tabernacles was reminding God's people of the God who had been faithful, that when they were on the run out of Egypt, and they were dwelling in tents, that God was with them. The Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder of what God had done and what he is doing. And they would wave these palm branches. And we find in the book of Revelation, there's a day that's coming when Jesus is going to come back. And in heaven, apparently, there's even going to be a waving of palm branches. The Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder of not just what God did, but what God actually will do. Mike, what are you saying? I'm saying this, man. I don't want to push too hard on deconstruction because there's a lot of deconstruction necessary. But I just want to give a word of warning. Be careful about taking deconstruction too, too wide or too deep or too universal because many things need to be deconstructed. But some of the things that are currently being deconstructed are actually load-bearing walls. And when you destroy the walls that are holding up your family, when you destroy everything, at some point, there's got to be a builder in the house. There's got to be a builder in the family that's going to say, you know what, in a world of deconstruction, I'm going to join all the right deconstruction, and that's a to be affirmed. Don't misunderstand me. But there's going to have to be some building construction that takes place like Nehemiah. I'm going to kind of point you to this. I, I lived in Connecticut when I was a kid some, and in the late 80s, near Greenwich, Connecticut, 
there was a bridge that went out. Some of you may remember this in the news. There was a bridge that, that collapsed. And there was a guy that was driving and kind of foggy or whatever, and as the car in front of him just disappeared, he realized something was wrong, so he slams on his brakes. He gets out of his car, and he looks, and sure enough, there was a collapsed bridge where people, anyone that drove through there was going to crash and, and die. So he pulled his car back. He got out of his car. And he goes out into the street and he begins to wave, you know, wildly like, hey, everybody stop. Everyone needs to stop. Stop. To, you know, don't, don't go here. Don't do this. And someone with a car with a couple of young men in it were driving after him and they saw him getting out there and they thought he wanted something. And as he's doing this, they were just annoyed and they did not heed his warning. And instead they flipped him the middle finger. As they're looking back at him, they launched into eternity as they crashed to their death. Friends, I need you to know something, that there are times that this book bothers me. And there are times that God and I disagree. I need to make you understand something. When you and God disagree, it's because God is trying to save you from something you can't see. When you and God are in disagreement, I am pleading with you, listen to the guy, don't, don't flip him the finger. And, and, I, and I get it, man, 21st century people, like, we're very convinced that we've, we've sort of gotten, we're like, Mike, but you don't understand, don't you get it, man, in the 21st century. By the way, it's not just the 21st century because ethics and morals and values, they change like every generation. So Americans believe differently now than they will in 30 years. Democrats believe differently now than they will in 30 years. Republicans believe differently now than they will in 30 years, which is why, may I submit to you that you do not want to base what you believe on the changing news of Fox or CNN or whatever philosophers that you read, but base everything that you've got on the living, active word of God, which does not change. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will remain forever. Build your life on this. Open the book, receive the joy, and create the rhythms that keep this going. I'll tell you one that we do, and I'll tell you what I'm doing tomorrow night. I'll invite you to do this. For the entire summer, I'm going to invite all of you into my life, okay? Here's what we do in our family. We have what's called Bible time. I wish this was cooler. I wish I'd given this a better name at the beginning. It ended up sticking with, I wish it was, I came up with something like, hey, kids, let's gather together. It's time for Catalyst, you know, something like that. I wish we had something that was like, hey, we're getting together for The Edge. It's just called Bible time. It means it's time to read the Bible. That's all it means. We're going to gather together. As, and and I'll, I was in a conversation with one of the ladies in our church, and, and we, she was talking about discipleship and how it can feel so overwhelming. You need to do this and you got to do that. I'm like, listen, man, I'm, I'm going to disciple my kids. I'm going to disciple people. I'm, I'm going to disciple my children. And she's like, does that count? I'm like, yes, that counts. I said, in fact, my house, I consider my home a house church. I consider my home a house church. We gather together in the name of Jesus. We gather, we're, we're gonna live in the green. We're gonna do worship, mission, community. We gather together as house church. In fact, multiple times a week, we get together for Bible time. Doesn't happen every day. It always happens on Mondays. It always happens on Saturdays. Happens a lot of other days as well. We'll gather together. Everyone knows you better be there seven o'clock. We're gonna gather together, gonna open the Bible for the next like couple months, for example. We're just gonna go through Proverbs. Tomorrow is May 31st. If you're watching this, tomorrow's May 31st. You don't even have to wonder where you're gonna look. Tomorrow, we're gonna read Proverbs 31. That's what we're going to do tomorrow. 
Next week, it'll be the seventh. On the first, on, on Monday, it'll be, uh, we're going to read, you know, Proverbs chapter seven together. It's a little weird sometimes when you hit some of the chapters that talk about like adultery and, you know, weird sexual things or something like that. And I try to, you know, skip some parts for the children or whatever. But all that said, we gather together for Bible time. It goes like this. I'll read a verse. You read a verse. We just go around in a circle. It's as simple as this. This is not sophisticated. I, if there's 21 verses, there's seven of us. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And we just kind of go around just like that until we read the chapter. We get to the end. We ask a few questions. What's it tell us about God? What's it tell us about people? What's God telling us? What verse sticks out? And then we pray. By the time we finish praying, we gather together. And when this started, I would just get together and I'd get together at my table and I would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I would say that to our family, as for me and my house, we will serve. And I would tell my kids that. It's a quote from Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. At one point, I said, as for me and my house, and I didn't even plan this, the family responded back to me, we will serve the Lord. In fact, why don't we try that right now? As for me and my house, and I was like, whoa, that was kind of like black church style. I'm liking this right now. I really liked the feel of that. I was like, okay. But after a little while, when you're reading scripture, especially when you come to Jesus, you realize this book tells you, no longer do I call you servants. I call you my children. I want you to love me. So we said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But we added a second line, which was, as for me and my house, we will love the Lord. So I told the kids that, and we began to do it. In fact, we'll try it right now. The first one was serve. The second was love. Let's try As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But then after a little while, we're like, man, we want to believe God for things. I mean, we're praying for people to get healed, and we're praying for miracles to happen. And I need you to know something, friends. Don't judge your circumstances on how things are right now, because you've got a God that can change anything. So we started saying, as for me and my house, I want my family to trust God, to believe. And I said, we would say, we will trust the Lord. So it was, as for me and my house, we will serve, love, and trust. In fact, I want to try it right now as I'm coming to the conclusion of this. Just a little liturgy that you might want to take up just to humor yourselves for a summer like this one. As for me and my house, even online, as for me and my house, and as for me and my house, we will trust the Lord. So I picked up a book. I was reading this book by a guy named Stephen Scott. And as I was reading this book, he was, the foreword was written by Gary Smalley, great writer. It was in the 1970s. He said, I was at Steve Scott's small home in Arizona. His career was facing difficulty. He was discouraged. He had lost his sixth job since graduating from college four years earlier. It seemed no matter what he did, no matter how hard he tried, nothing was working. Nothing went well. After praying about it, he said, I had an idea. I said, how would you like to become smarter than all of your bosses? He looked up somewhat sarcastically. He says, yeah, right. He says, no, I'm, I'm serious. I can promise that if you'll just do this one thing within two years, you will be smarter than all of your future bosses. And I'll bet you'll be a millionaire within five years. He thought I was nuts, but then he asked, okay, well, what do I need to do? He said, here's what I said. There's 31 days in a month. There's 31 chapters in the biblical book of Proverbs. Every day, start each day, and I want you to read the book of Proverbs that corresponds to that particular day. Read two chapters on the last day of the month when there's only 30 days. Do that every day, month after month, and I guarantee within two years, you will be smarter than all of your bosses. Steve took my challenge. He began reading a chapter of Proverbs every day, and within two years, he had followed Solomon's advice. He found a business partner, began to implement the principles of the book of Proverbs, and God had turned his life around because he opened the book. Church, everywhere this book 
is opened, sorrow gets turned into joy. Open the book. Mike, how do you want me to apply this? I want you to tell me or tell your family or talk at lunch about what's gonna go inside of your institutionalization box. What's gonna go inside of your rhythms? For some of you, that might mean you're gonna start to read the word of God every day and you're not gonna miss any more days because you know that everywhere this book is opened, sorrow gets turned into joy. Everywhere this book is open, people come alive. Everywhere this book is open, lives get better. Everywhere this book is open, fools get wise. Everywhere this book is open, sorrow turns into something wonderful. Everywhere this book is open, there is life. Maybe you wanna join me, me and my family, for the entire summer, every Monday night at 7 p.m., we will be having house church at our church. You're invited wherever you are. Just to do, Tomorrow night, it's going to be Proverbs 31. In fact, I'll even ask right now, how many of you would be willing to give it a try tomorrow night to have a little, it might take five minutes, it might take 30. Who'd be willing to try house church with us right where you're at tomorrow? But I end it like this. God knew we couldn't just take a book. It's hard to trust a book. You have to trust a person which is why the scripture says that the word, which is Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled among us and dwelt among us. The Feast of Tabernacles was pointing to Jesus. Every book of this Bible is pointing to Jesus, the one who came. And there are things that we've done wrong, but the reason that you and I can break out of our curses is because he went on a cross where he fulfilled the law of God that he can now write his law in our hearts, that he went up on a cross and paid for our sins so we could become his children. And everywhere Jesus goes, there's life. Everywhere Jesus goes, there's wisdom. Everywhere Jesus goes, there's redemption. Everywhere Jesus shows up, everywhere Jesus is embraced, there's freedom and power and authority and hope. And if you need that, call out to him today. But otherwise, I end it like this. As for me and my house, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, let's pray.